Amen. What an amazing song, right? Like our God is able, right? Like just to be able to sing that out here this morning with all of you is just an amazing thing. It's such a blessing to be able to just come into this place and, and, and worship and pour out, sing out truths about our God, right? Because the reality is that you're not going to go home humming a sermon, right? Like you're, gonna, you're not going to go home singing whatever I say this morning. You're going to go home singing the songs that we sang this morning, and that's going to carry you into your week. Truths like, man, uh, all victory is found in Jesus, and at his name, the darkness trembles, right? And our God is able. Like those are the truths that you're going to walk away with this morning. Amen. And so we recognize the importance of worship. And so I'm just glad to be here, man. I'm just glad to be here and... Uh, another amazing reason for today is it's the first day of spring, right? It's the first day of spring. Like, I don't know about you, but like, this has been a long and dry and boring winter, and I'm just like over it, right? Like, I'm just ready to have warm weather and all that stuff, though I'm not looking forward to all of the wind and the allergies and that sort of thing, but... Anyways, if you have a Bible, go ahead and grab that. We're going to be in Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4. And if you remember, we're continuing our, our study through the gospel of Luke and taking a look at Jesus's life and his ministry. And over the last couple of weeks, if you remember, we've, we've, we've really looked at Jesus, the start of Jesus's ministry and his adult life. And a few weeks back, we, we looked at his baptism, right? Like Jesus goes out to the River Jordan and he's dunked into the water and he comes up and the spirit of the Lord descends upon him and, a, and, and the, the heavens open up and, the, and, and God the Father says, man, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And from there, he, 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 he's led out full of the spirit into the wilderness for 40 days where he fasts and he's tempted unsuccessfully by the devil, right? Like he's tempted in every way in which we are tempted and yet without sin. So he basically owns the devil and then he, he leaves that place and he goes back to his hometown in Nazareth and he's preaching in the synagogue. And if you remember from last week, he opens up the, the scroll that was handed to him, and he reads this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Basically, Jesus is saying, hey, I am God's anointed one. I am the Messiah. I am the Christ, and I've come to fulfill this scripture. And then he leaves that place, and that's where we pick it up in our scripture here this morning. Verse 31, if you have your Bibles, says this, and he went down from there to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God." 
But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of them, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For with authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. Let me pray for us before we jump in. Father in heaven, God, we're just so thankful for your word, God. We're thankful for your grace. We're thankful for this story right here, God. So we just pray, Lord, that you'd teach us through your word that we would leave this place different than we walked in this morning. God, just pray that you give me clear thoughts and articulate words here this morning. May we be glorified and magnified uh, in this time. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So here's the big idea for this morning. The main point of this morning, the main idea is this. I think this is the truth that, 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 that this passage of scripture is teaching us, that all authority and all victory is found in Jesus, our king. All authority and all victory is found in Jesus, our king. And so let's unpack that here this morning. Point number one is this, Jesus is our king. Jesus is our king. I think this is an important point for us to recognize here this morning. We have to understand the context. We have to understand why this story is happening in this part of the gospel narrative that, that, that uh, Luke is, is, is teaching us, right? Because the reality is that this is not just an isolated incident, Right? This thing doesn't just happen in a vacuum. The reality is that these six verses are nestled right in here in chapter four of the gospel of Luke, right in the middle of a, of a larger story, God's redemption story that we see from Genesis to Revelation. So in order to understand why Jesus is here and what he is doing, we have to consider the greater context, namely the mission of God the mission of God. If you remember our sentence from a couple of weeks ago and last week even, right? The spirit of God and the word of God are sufficient for the people of God to accomplish the mission of God. But what is the mission of God? I think that's important for us to try to understand. What is the mission of God? Kingdom. God's mission is his kingdom. If you look at verse 43 in Luke chapter 4, just a little, uh, a couple of verses later, Jesus says this, I must preach the good news of what? The kingdom. I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns as well. And then he says this amazing statement, for I was sent for this purpose. I was sent for this purpose, to preach the good news. That word, good news, that's gospel. I, was, I, 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 I must preach the gospel of the kingdom of God. I was sent for this purpose. In Mark chapter 1, verses 14 and 15, after John the, the Baptist was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. Proclaiming the gospel of God. Okay, what is the gospel of God? And saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. 
That, there's the gospel, kingdom. It's kingdom. Repent and believe the gospel, he says. Jesus came and died so that you would be freed from sin, freed from slavery to the kingdoms and, and, and the structures of this world so that you would be a citizen in the kingdom of God. In Psalm chapter 2, talking about the Messiah, the Christ, God says this, Why do the nations rage? Why do the nations rage? I think that's, that's pretty applicable for us today, right? Where you, got, you got Putin raging over here in the Ukraine. You got China raging, trying to control the whole earth, right? And then you got the, you got the U.S. Congress just raging. Why do the nations rage? against the Lord and his anointed, against the Lord and his Christ, his Messiah. That word anointed in the Hebrew is literally translated Messiah. In the Greek, it's translated Christos, which is where we get the word Christ. Christ, Messiah, his anointed one. Why do the nations rage against the Lord and his anointed? He who sits in the heavens laughs. God's on his throne laughing? Why is he laughing? He holds them in derision. He will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Why is God laughing at the nations raging around us? Because he's already set the king. There's already a king. We don't need other kings. So who is the king? He goes on to tell us. The Lord said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. So who's the king? The son is the king. The king is the son. Remember, Jesus comes up out of the baptism waters and what does the father say? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Jesus is king. He's king so what is the extent of his kingdom? I promise this is going somewhere. What is the extent of his kingdom? He says, ask of me and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. Where is Jesus' kingdom? It's all his kingdom, right? Every nation is his kingdom to the ends of the earth. And this is important for us to understand in this passage here today because this is who walks into the synagogue on that Sabbath day, the king announcing his kingdom. That's who Jesus is. That's significant for our passage here this morning. Everywhere Jesus went, he was establishing his kingdom. He was establishing his rule and his reign, including in this synagogue. And when Jesus walks into this place, something else had been ruling there. The spirit of an unclean demon had been ruling there. But when, 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 the, when confronted with the power and the presence and the authority of the true king, this demonic spirit had no choice but to submit to the king and his kingdom. He is king, and he claimed to claim his kingdom. So point number one, Jesus is king. Point number two, because he's king, he has all authority. 
Because he is king, he has all authority. This is clearly seen in our text here this morning. Jesus is preaching with authority. He's teaching with authority. He's casting out demons with authority to the point where the people are asking, man, what is this word? For with authority, he casts out demons. So what, what does Jesus' authority look like practically? I think the first thing is it's the authority of God. Jesus' authority is the authority of God because Jesus is God. He has the authority of God. I I love what Colossians chapter 1, 15 through 16 says. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that everything, that in everything he might be preeminent. And this is key, verse 19, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. All the fullness of God was pleased to to dwell. Jesus' authority is the authority of God. Colossians 2 goes on to say that he is the head of all rule and authority. Because he is God, there's no authority that has authority over God. So he has the authority of God. He's also got authority in word because Jesus is God and he has the authority of God and he speaks as God. He has the authority in word. He's teaching in the synagogue with authority and it astonishes everyone and makes them ask the question, what is this word? So what is it? What is this word? I think first it's the authority to create It's the authority to create. In Genesis 1, God speaks and things are created, right? God says, let there be light, and then there was light. This is the authority that Jesus has in his words. He has the authority to create. He's got the authority then to sustain that creation. Hebrews 1 says that by his word, he upholds all things. He upholds all things by the word of his power. So he has the authority to create. He's got the authority to sustain. And finally, he's got the authority to restore that which he created. And we see this in this text. Jesus speaks to this demonic spirit and he says, be silent and come out of him. And the spirit has to leave. And here's this man restored back to the original way that God had created him. He's free. Jesus, in his word, has the authority to create, the authority to sustain, and the the authority to restore. So what is this word? It's the word that holds all authority. So he's got the authority of God. He's got the authority in word. And finally, he's got authority over the spiritual realm. Authority over the spiritual realm. It's over the demonic in this passage. There are several places in scripture, Colossians 2, Ephesians 6, that says there are other rulers and authorities out there. 
in the spiritual places. And yet, because Jesus is king, because he is God, because he has all authority, he has authority over those things. This is important. This story in Luke shows that all things have to submit to God's authority and his power. And this is good news, right? This is good news because all things submit to the authority of Jesus. Point number three, all victory then is found in Jesus. Because all things submit to the authority of the king, all victory is found in the king. All victory is found in Jesus. Verse 35, Jesus rebukes the unclean spirit saying, be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, what is this word? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. You know, I think sometimes when we read passages of scripture like this and we look at Jesus doing these amazing things, I think... I think it's just natural to think, maybe I should identify with Jesus in this passage, right? Like Jesus was casting out demons, maybe I should just go knock it out, right? Or maybe we think, well, maybe I'm not Jesus in this story, but maybe I'm, maybe I'm one of the, the disciples, or maybe I'm, I'm just the fly on the wall here or something like that. But the reality is, I think that we're more like the man with the unclean spirit than we like to admit, We are more like the man with this unclean spirit than we would like to admit. And we don't immediately think that we're that guy because we're like, well, I'm not possessed by a demonic spirit, so I certainly can't be that guy. Maybe you aren't possessed by a demonic spirit, but what about demonic oppression? What about demonic influence? What about the subtle ways that the enemy gets in and causes chaos in our lives? That depression that you just can't shake, it's just like a black veil over your life. That uncontrollable anger that you just don't understand, you can't understand why you're raging out against the people that you love most. That debilitating fear that keeps you from being the man or woman that God has called you to be and doing the things that he's called you to do. 2 Timothy 1.7 says that God didn't give us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and self-control. See, oppression and influence can manifest itself in many ways. It can manifest itself relationally. It can manifest itself emotionally. It can manifest itself mentally. And I'm not saying that every relational or emotional or mental issue is demonic in nature. There's certainly room for your sin and physical issues. But I don't think that we can count out the demonic in such things. See, we're more like the unclean man than we like to think. And the good news is that Jesus is your victory. Jesus is your victory. 
We see this clearly in the text. Here is a man who is in bondage and captivity to a demonic spirit. But when confronted with the power and the authority and the word and the presence of Jesus, he's set free from that thing. He's set free. He's experienced exactly what Jesus said he would do when he opened up that scroll and said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me and anointed me to set the captives free, to set the oppressed free. He's experienced this. Where he was captive, he is no longer captive. Where he was oppressed, he is no longer oppressed. Where he was blind, he's no longer blind. He's seen the Lord's favor. And now this guy has a choice. Now he has a choice. He's experienced victory in Jesus, but what is he gonna do with it? What is he gonna do with this victory? Is he gonna continue to live the life that he's always lived? The life that led him into bondage and the life that led him into captivity? Or is he gonna change and turn and pursue the life of victory that he has in Jesus? That's the question. Listen, this is key for us because this is the question that's laid before all of us here this morning. The question that's laid before you and me is once you've experienced victory in Jesus, what are you gonna do with it? What are you gonna do with it? Are you going to continue to live the life that you've always lived, the life that, that, that led you into bondage to sin and captivity to the demonic? Or are you gonna change and turn and pursue the life of victory and freedom that is yours in Jesus Christ? I think there are some of you in this room today, maybe you've been a Christian for five, 10 years, you've experienced this victory, but you walked into this place this morning and you don't feel very victorious. You walked into this place this morning and the reality is that you're still in bondage to the same sin that held you captive 10 years ago, five years ago. You don't feel very victorious But there's still hope. You still have a chance. You're here this morning. You still have a chance to turn and pursue and embrace the life of freedom that Jesus has for you. So how do we do that? How do we embrace a life of victory and freedom in Christ? I think the answer is simple and yet hard at the same time. It's submission. It's submission. It's submission in lifestyle, it's submission in mind, and it's submission in action. If you wanna embrace and pursue a life of freedom in Jesus, you have to submit to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You have no other choice. You have to submit to him in lifestyle. Listen, your lifestyle reveals your worship. Your lifestyle reveals your worship. You will build your life around what you worship every time. And you can only submit to one God. Either you'll submit your life to Jesus or something or someone else. 
So who or what are you submitting to? Who or what are you submitting to? What would the people around you say that you love most? I think the answer to these questions will reveal who or what you worship, who your God is. There's no middle ground here, guys. Whose kingdom will you submit to? That's the question. So we need to submit in lifestyle. Number two, we need to submit in mind. Submit in mind. James 4, 8 says, purify your hearts, you double-minded. You see, you can't worship two things at the same time. You can't be double-minded, otherwise you'll be mixed, you'll be unclean. I think that's exactly what's happened to this guy with the unclean spirit in this story right? He's mixed. He's unclean. He, he can't worship God and worship demons. He can't worship God and worship money. He can't worship God and worship his relationships. He can't worship God and worship his career at the same time. You'll be double-minded. And so you have to submit wholly to Jesus in mind. What are you submitting to in your thoughts? What are you allowing into your mind? What are you watching? What are you looking at? What are you reading? What are you listening to? James 4.23, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it spring the issues of life. Submit to God in mind. When we submit in mind, we begin to embrace the freedom and the victory that is found in Jesus So submit in lifestyle, submit in mind, and finally submit in action. Submit in action. James 4, 8 goes on to say, cleanse your hands, you sinners. Cleanse your hands, cleanse your actions. Submit to God, pure and unmixed, in regards to the decisions that you choose to make. Are your decisions mostly about you, or are they mostly about God? See, the reality is that every decision is a spiritual decision. Every decision is a spiritual decision. Every financial decision you make is a spiritual decision. Every relational decision that you make, who you decide to date, who you decide to marry, who do you decide to be friends with is a spiritual decision. Every occupational decision is a spiritual decision. The job that you choose to take is a spiritual decision. We need to submit to Jesus in order to embrace the life that he has for us, a life of freedom, a life of victory. It's yours. Take it. Submit in lifestyle. Submit in mind. Submit in action. Listen, here's the reality. This is the conclusion. Everything will submit to the king. Everything will submit to the king. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the reality. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. It makes no difference. It doesn't matter if you think it's true or not. It makes no difference. The reality is that he is the king and every knee will bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord. The question for us here today is will you bow your knee willingly or will you have your knee bowed for you? 
Will you bow the knee willingly or will you have your knees bowed for you? Everything will submit. God's kingdom will reign with or without us. Some of you here today have not yet surrendered and submitted your life to Jesus. And if that's you here this morning, I just wanna reiterate, man, all victory is found in him. All victory is found in him. You can have freedom. You can have freedom. The choice is yours. I would urge you not to leave this place here this morning without making that decision because you're gonna walk out of those doors here this morning with a decision. Either to follow Jesus or to not follow Jesus, that's, that's up to you. To submit your life to the king or not submit your life to the king. You're gonna make that choice here this morning. And I just urge you not to leave this place without embracing and pursuing that freedom that's yours in Jesus. And for those of you who have experienced that victory, that freedom in Jesus, we're gonna have an opportunity right now to just blow the roof off of this place in worship, man to make the, these walls tremble and these walls shake in praise and worship to our God and King who is victorious, who has bought your freedom. We're gonna have an opportunity to just pour out our praise and I just wanna shake the foundations of this place, amen? We have an opportunity to declare with our mouths that our hands are lifted high in surrender. His grace for me is always enough. Listen, we're gonna raise our hands and we're gonna worship in this place this morning, aren't we? Because you've raised your hands for lesser things. Let's raise our hands in submission and surrender to our God and our King here this morning. This bridge is your anthem, it's your declaration. It simply says this, and I just want us to pour it out to our God and King and pour it out over all of us here this morning. Simply says this, there was no one higher, there was no one greater, there was no one like our God. There was none more able, Christ our Savior, great and glorious. Let's sing this out together here this morning, amen? Amen.